Welcome to Grinding the Data. My name is Kevin Scott. It's a privilege to be back with you for another installment here of the Expert Series. We've had some incredible folks on so far. Today, we get one of the best there is in the business, Sigmund Bloom. Welcome, Sigmund. Oh, it's great to be here. I like the off-season because we can breathe. We don't have to be reacting and predicting to everything that's happening. We can talk about football. We can look back. We can look forward. But you can feel it. The tidal wave of things for us to analyze ponder argue about it's coming already what franchise tags today and here we go again i know yeah it's going to be a blitz all the way through i can tell for sure most of you know who sigmund is in case you don't know he's one of the owners of football guys a company that does an excellent job with fantasy football analysis rankings projections league management stuff all sorts of stuff and sigmund has been an analyst and thought leader in the industry for a long time Really very highly regarded by everyone I've ever spoken to. So that says a lot. Uh, it's really an honor to have you on, man. I'm happy to be on. And I, I, I'm just happy to be here. I don't want to say anything self-aggrandizing, but it's good to make friends. It's good to be thought well of because <laughs> it makes things a lot easier. It's like anybody who's raised kids, you know, it's just easier mm-hmm. to be nice. And there's a lot of nice people in our area. And most importantly, there's a lot of really intelligent people that are stimulating and enjoy the exchange of information and sometimes getting out sword and shield and challenging each other. And uh, it continues to be year after year, Kevin. I've been doing this since 2006. And every year, it seems like we can't get bigger. We can't bring in more amazing brain power. We can't expand into these areas. And we still somehow keep going. So may it continue to be prosperous for the fantasy world. Yeah. I mean, what a change it must uh, must be from your perspective. <laughs> like 15 years later, man, it's, just, it's incredible how much it's grown. Um, so uh, I, I was just talking with Sigmund before we got we went live here about Mardi Gras a little bit. And I'm sure yeah. our, our listeners would enjoy hearing about that. You took part a little bit in those festivities and yeah. showed me something cool. So tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, there's the, uh, which way is it, right and left, the whoo, up there, the 28.3 uh, Zulu coconut. And I, I we could do the whole hour on Mardi Gras, and I would have like 10 hours left. But Mardi Gras is just really just a celebration of life. You know, it's, it comes from the Catholic idea of you build up to Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday leads into Lent when you go without. Mm-hmm. So get all your sins out, get all your indulgences <laughs> out, get all your sensory pleasures out. And uh, it's quite an an event. There's so much I think that people don't understand about Mardi Gras, but it's really just a party that's a celebration of life. There's the parades and all the stuff you get at parades and that game. But there's also just there's costuming. There's people that work all year to build uh, costumes. Mardi Gras Indians, I uh, encourage people to look up to to culminate on Fat Tuesday. Uh, Everywhere else is Tuesday. But in New Orleans on Fat Tuesday, it's a day when it's a state holiday, school's off, school's off for the whole week usually. And mm. it's a day you go out into the street and you hang out with your neighbors. You renew acquaintances with people that maybe you haven't seen all year. Uh, life is still lived out in the streets here. Life is still lived in a public square, in a public way. And especially because this was the first Mardi Gras since COVID, mm. uh, it was healing for the city, really because more than any other city in the country by far, New Orleans, it's all the connections we have to each other that's like the lifeblood of the city. It isn't a city where people just go off to their subdivisions or go off to their neighborhoods and just stay in their house. It's a city where everybody, what I like to say, Kevin, one of the things I like to say is when you go around New Orleans, you wave at people. It doesn't matter whether you know them or not. Someone makes eye contact with you, you wave. You know, could be the person delivering the mail, anybody, the garbage person. And they always wave back. Hmm. And it's this way of saying, hey, I'm acknowledging you exist. I'm acknowledging you exist. You smile. And these little things give us that little push sometimes through the tougher parts of life. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. It definitely makes... Uh, New Orleans seemed like an awesome place to live. Um, it is, but there's also carjackings and 150 year old <laughs> water mains break and hurricanes, and Correct. so it has a natural sorting quality to it. Where if the good things about the city help you suffer the bad things, then you stay, and if they don't, then you know potholes. Don't try to start a business here. Like there's a lot of things that are terrible about New Orleans, and they've always been terrible about New Orleans. And then there are a lot of things that are singular. And, and beautiful and uplifting, and the people yeah. that are here are the people that love those things. 
Yeah. I've, you know, I've only been to New Orleans one time. And unfortunately it was right after Katrina, I came down there to rebuild some houses and oh, it was actually, yeah. um, you. it was actually abandoned for the most part. I mean, maybe like yeah. 20% of the people were still there. And you know, a lot of people I talked to were saying though, that, you know, we're going to come back, we're going to rebuild it. And Always. at that point, man, it felt like that was questionable. How could it be? Yeah, it's it's indestructible. The spirit of the city. It's the most fragile, precarious city in the country. It's in a bowl. It's terrible. You should never build a city here. <laughs> it flooded every year the, when it first started, and it's in a bowl. It actually collects water. Every drop of rain that falls on New Orleans has to be pumped out again by a system that was designed about 150 years ago. Right. It's still the same system, Crazy. and uh, it can pump out like about a half inch of water an hour. And it's the most precarious, fragile city. But at the same time, the spirit of the city is indestructible. And uh, I think that even after New Orleans is washed into the ocean, uh, the spirit of New Orleans and the stories of New Orleans and the culture of New Orleans will always live on. Yeah, that's cool, man. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so uh, we're going to jump into some uh, discussion questions here. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it might be more fun to talk about New Orleans and culture, but I'm going to start the New Orleans podcast one of these days, <laughs> but I almost feel like I, there's so many people that could do better than me since I just moved here four years ago. Anyway, I love football. I love talking about football too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I had some discussion questions in mind just to kind of lead us and, you know, wherever it takes us, if, if we get off on a tangent, that's cool too, but we'll start the discussion here. The first question I have for you is sort of just a zoomed out. A uh, big picture question about the NFL. I know you think of it from a big picture, mm-hmm. and um, you know, don't get too far into the the details and nitty gritty and uh, all that for the most part. But I know you have a really cool perspective on uh, the whole thing. So I just wondered, how about like shifts? You know, do you see any yeah. important shifts that have occurred uh, in the past year, two years, something like that? Whether it's offensive, defensive, coaching, strategic, anything that comes to mind that you think will be affecting things. I mean, nothing that is immediate. I think that one of the things we are seeing through the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay trees proliferating is the job is for offensive coordinators to make things easier for quarterbacks. And quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo, who can work within a certain structure and be successful, but maybe if you took him and put him in a different kind of offense that didn't give, through play design and play calls, those advantages, like scheming players open, um, that it could create, you know, we're looking at the production created by the offense as much as we're looking at the production created by the quarterback or the players. Mm -hmm. And as that tree continues to have more branches, maybe some of, because the other thing that a big thing that's happening, Kevin is, well, we had a a great golden age of quarterbacks for a while there, right? Peyton, Brady, uh, Eli rivers, Roethlisberger, Romo. uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really great quarterbacks where the quarterbacks come to replacing them. Well, in the AFC, at least we have Mahomes and Allen and Burrow. Uh, so thankfully, these guys are coming online. But uh, that, that bridging that gap, and we may see that gap hopefully close between the great offenses and the terrible offenses, which mm-hmm. drives a lot of fantasy analysis. Um, you know, a lot of these things are s- slow. Like we're still seeing more college concepts being incorporated which then increases the importance of some of these players that are outside and this stuff comes up with the combine just coming and going right Mm -hmm. where you had the classic traditional height weight thresholds for positions right and it used to be and maybe some people still will subscribe to this uh, you know wide receivers have to have a certain bmi or wide receivers under a certain weight or under a certain height or right. we can just put them in the trash bin right away but i think that we're going to have to adjust those as college offenses and spread offenses become more of a foundation of nfl offenses that those kinds of players can be viable now for fantasy football uh there was a time when i started out kevin they would ask questions, has a quarterback taken a snap under center in college? Because that's really important. Right. They never ask that now, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the the changes are downstream from that big change of college offenses and making the game easier for the quarterback because NFL defenses are really, really good. Yeah. Do you follow um, college football at all? I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. I come in usually at the end of the year to see what's going on in the, right, uh, in the championship. And then, of course, during the draft. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. just it's just so difficult uh, because of the bandwidth necessary to do what we no, do. That's but, exactly how I feel. Yep. 
and just having a family. I mean, there's just not time. Well, yeah. Saturday. And, and everybody out there listening, because I know you're at the hardcore, if you're listening to this right now on uh, March 8th or later, yeah, <laughs> balance is important. This is a good time to renew, whether it's your family, your friends, oh, yeah, your pets, you know, <laughs> taking a walk in the neighborhood. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, as I thought about the the shifts that we've seen in the game, you know, things like the pistol formation and pop passes and bubble screens and quick routes, all these kinds of things that are coming from college. I just wonder um, what's next, right? And because I don't follow college that well, it's really hard to guess. Um, but I would, I guess I would just say it does seem like, obviously, over the past few years, we've seen a huge shift toward making offense easier, yeah. making defense harder. Um, yeah. Well, the, the shift is, it's the pendulum, Kevin. So what's going to happen is um, defenses are getting lighter and teams that can run the ball are running the ball is becoming more important. And because that's how you can defeat a team that has. So what did we see this year? So let's we can really and I don't want to turn this question to the whole show, but this oh, is no, very yeah. fascinating, right? Yeah. What did we see this year? Uh, the great quarterbacks, they said, take away the big plays. Yep. Play too high shell. Yep. Light box. And what the good teams are going to do, like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs evolved this year, is, okay, well, we'll take what the defense gives us. Right. Okay, death by a thousand paper cuts, we can do that too. Right. So then the pendulum will swing back and defenses will need to get heavier. So this is why, so so Kevin, as we get closer to the draft, you know, a big 330-pound, 40-pound run stuffer, although Jordan Davis from Georgia looks like he can do everything. I thought, saw the tweet, like he's giving up football to join the Avengers, right? <laughs> but having that, having that space eater on early downs who can make it not so easy for teams to run the ball against those light boxes, that player is going to take on increased tactical value against the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allens, et cetera, mm -hmm. of the world. So it, but it's always in motion because it's the pendulum because eventually it swings too far in one direction and then teams... The defense adjusts, and then offenses have to readjust. What was interesting this year, Kevin, is rarely do we see it happen in, in within a season like we did for Kansas right. City. Mm -hmm. And I think that that just is a testament to Mahomes and Reed and their flexibility and willingness to say, okay, well, if this is what you're giving us to attack, then we're going to attack it. We're not going to be stuck in saying there's only one way to win, there's only one way to play, there's only one way to be successful. Yeah, and it took a while. I mean, I, I, I'm a Chiefs fan, so I watched all those games, and it was the first half was ugly because, you know, Mahomes desperately wanted to keep going deep, and he hates right. taking the check down, you know, where Brady Brady has gotten so used to over the years just taking the quick pass and doesn't care. And, and I think Mahomes will get there. I guess the, the thing I just thought of when you were talking, though, is like, you know, the way the, the rosters have been built over the last five to ten years has been um, – due to these shifts. And so right. you can't just flip a switch and get heavy and, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. run with an eye form up the middle, you know, with these big boys on the line built to run the ball because you already built your line and, you know, to pass yeah. protect or whatever. So it is interesting how those shifts, um, you know, might take years to actually then <laughs> swing that pendulum. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too. It's a test because I can remember when we started, I did a lot of IDP stuff. I still love IDP fantasy football uh, and John Norton and Gene Prammel and some of the other people I got to work with. They were chronicling how defenses that may play, when we talked about defenses, we talked about there are three, four defense or a four, three defense or a cover two defense. We talked about their 11 starters. And then as we got into the late aughts, into the early teens, Sometimes defenses were playing 16, 17, 18, 19 different players over the course of a game. Hmm. You couldn't say they were a 3-4 defense, even though when they come out and line up on first and 10 to open the first series, they're a 3-4 defense because, well, actually, they're in their nickel defense most of the game, the, like 55% of the snaps or something like that. And again, th there's not these easy boxes to put these things in anymore. Now, offensive lines, cohesiveness is what we hear about, right? Mm -hmm. But why can't we eventually evolve to a point where there's different units, kind of like hockey lines, you know, yeah. depending on the mode the offense is in, maybe this guy's a tackle, maybe he's a guard. Now, granted, that can be a tip off. That can be, this is, right. in some ways, this is why this draws so many highly intelligent people, highly analytical people, because even though football at its essence is a physical game, the intellectual level is always at play. And it's usually the difference between the championship teams and the teams that stall out in mediocrity. And it's also probably what informs a lot of successful fantasy football teams. Right. Yeah. I think the only thing that would stop you from having lines on the line, so to speak, would be 
the 53 on the roster. Right. Well, you know, that could change too. You know, you never know. Um, how about like with fantasy? I know things mm-hmm. change uh, every season uh, as far as like the positions that are impactful, uh, you know, the relative value managers place on various positions and, and you know, the way people draft. Um, obviously, you know, sometimes it feels like you got to get all your backs early or other times, mm-hmm. you know, there is no value there. You got to take wide receiver early. And th- this is another pendulum that's constantly going back and forth. Um, QBs as well. You know, you, right. you have the late QB, you have the early QB. Um, how do you see all this uh, shaking out in the next sure. few seasons based on, you know, um, and based on that, do you think mm-hmm. there's like a best way to draft coming up here? There's never going to be a best way to draft. And this frustrates people when I say this, but every plan works when you pick the right players. Mm-hmm. And I get it. And JJ Zacharyson, I love JJ, would say, well, yeah, but player evaluation is the hardest part of this. So let's step back and try to get all of these 0.5% edges wherever we can find them and accumulate those and let that be the edge that we have. But I still think even though we can say it's impossible, Kevin, I always make the comparison to those math problems that are impossible to solve, that mathematicians will spend their whole life just trying to move the ball down the field a couple of yards for someone else to pick it up in the next lifetime. And maybe player evaluations like that, we're never going to solve it. Look at the NFL in the draft. You know, We're never going to truly solve it but we can take our best shot at it. But I think getting to the specifics, so quarterback, it seemed like coming out of 2020 that stud quarterback was more important Mm -hmm. because late round quarterbacks great when the stud quarterbacks are scoring 25 points a game. But when they're scoring 30 points a game, then locking in 20 or 18 points is a bigger disadvantage than you're giving up at other positions. So you need one of those 30-point quarterbacks where there weren't really any 30-point quarterbacks in 2021. Josh Allen repeated in most scoring systems as the number one fantasy quarterback, but he didn't have a big as big of a gap to the pack. We had different quarterbacks struggle at different times in the season. We just talked about Patrick Mahomes. You know, Kyler Murray got banged up in the second half of the year again, lost DeAndre Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now... And you're looking at, hey, if you did wait and take Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford, or even if you um, did a late-round quarterback strategy, you were fine in 2021 because there wasn't those quarterbacks that distanced themselves from the pack. Now, could that change? Could everything line up for a quarterback or two or three this year? Maybe Lamar Jackson if he doesn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. We'll see. At running back, it's the same as it ever was, really. I think it was a great year for zero running back to do the opposite upside down. Um the quarter, the running backs in the first round are going to, and we're, we have very short memories. So because Derrick Henry missed half the season, Ezekiel Elliott fell into more of a committee. Alvin Kamara wasn't as good without Drew Brees. Christian McCaffrey got hurt again. You're going to see more of a shift back to some of these wide receivers mm-hmm. in the first round. Although there's still Jonathan Taylor, our, our, uh, or Black Swan, or whatever you want to call him, is you know through all that he was probably he or Cooper Cup was the fantasy MVP with a good case. You know Debo Samuel it deserves at least to be up on the picture of the nominees. Right. Uh, at, at wide receiver, there was a little bit of a shift back because if you recall in 2020, wide receivers across the board were a losing proposition early. There weren't really a lot. I mean, it's Devontae Adams, and I don't believe there were excellent wide receivers in terms of scoring or consistency, you know, Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. um, Justin Jefferson, you know, the young guys that broke out like Justin Jefferson or A.J. Brown. Right. But then a lot of the wide receivers, by the time you got to the fantasy playoffs in 2020, you were probably starting guys from the waiver wire or the second half of your draft. Um, it bounced back somewhat this year, but I think that if you go into, this could be related to the college offenses, Kevin, where teams are having three or four targets that are right. important to the game plan every week, you can get away with, uh, going heavy at other positions early and still probably be okay at wide receiver. I don't think stud wide receiver is a, a requirement. And tight end never changes. There's three or four guys that are an advantage, yeah. and then you, you scuffle. And some of the guys you think are going to give you an advantage don't. Some of the, A few guys come on to at least be like a Dawson Knox comes on to be like reasonably consistent or give you enough peaks to Alton Schultz to really encourage you to play them. But that value of the Kelsey, the Pitts, I think now we include in that conversation. We'll see who else gets into that conversation, whether it's Kittle, whether it's Waller. Mark Andrews obviously had a massive season. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stress, I think more and more people are coming around to taking an early tight end because of the advantage it gives them. Yeah. No, I, th- I, kind, of, uh, I kind of agree with all of your thoughts. I mean, one of the things I discussed with, um, I think it was Heath Cummings a few weeks ago, was just that, it's hard to tell whether you have um, 
with the the depth of the position at receiver where you know they're spreading the ball around like you were talking about gives you um makes it more important or less important to get receivers early you know because you've got more options more guys who are catching the ball but you have fewer true difference makers right because there are so few people getting over 100 whatever 20 targets um so it you know in a sense it feels like well similar to tight end there's only like let's say 10 true difference makers at the receiver position and then there's this huge you know group um of like wide receiver two slash threes uh, so maybe it does make sense to target receiver and tight end early but i also hear you saying the backs the same as it ever was in the sense like there's only a few you know that yeah. truly make a difference you got to grab those uh, so it's kind of all of that right well and the, you take the player that you have the highest confidence in running back, wide receiver, or tight end in the first two rounds. Here's the best way to draft in the first two rounds. Don't worry about strategy. <laughs> Take the player and situation. I always try to stress this to people. I mean, on a simple level, I always say when you draft a wide receiver or a tight end, you're drafting the quarterback too. You're really drafting the quarterback to wide receiver combination or the quarterback to tight end conversation com uh, a combination. And we can even get more specific and say you're drafting the offense. You're drafting the offensive line. You're drafting the coaches. You're, you're drafting a whole ecosystem that is either going to create an overachiever or underachiever, and, and it can change week to week. You know, one opponent can really frustrate a defense, a coach, a quarterback. Uh, a, a corner corner can frustrate a wide receiver. They can have a good game plan to take a player away, and then mm -hmm. the next week the team is powerless to stop Cooper Cup, and he gets 11 catches for 200 yards. So, take the player slash ecosystem combination that you feel most confident in. What, regardless of position, you just need to nail the picks. This is like best right. player available in the draft, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Just nail the pick. It doesn't matter what position. Now, granted, you have to be flexible because if right. you start wide receiver, wide receiver, that's going to change your strategy. If you start running back, running back. But if it's the turn and you still love A.J. Brown and you still believe in Ryan Tannehill and you know you think Justin Jefferson's just going to go, I don't even know if Justin Jefferson's going to be there at the turn. I'm not super versed in eight, early ADPs quite yet. Yeah. You know, but if it's AJ, if you, you end up with AJ Brown and Justin Jefferson, uh, that's totally different than if you end up with Joe Mixon. Who, Joe Mixon's ADP is the same yeah. as last year, even though he hit. How, mm -hmm. how is it that Nick Chubb's ADP is like down around, even though he did everything you could have asked him to do last year? So maybe you go Chubb Mixon at the turn. That's going to change your strategy. So that's important right. to be flexible, but there is right. no right answer to your first two rounds. Just take the players and ecosystems that you believe are going to hit. Yep, I, that, that's great advice. And I think, um, I think the the ability to take the best player and then uh, you, you know switch your strategy on the fly is probably the key to drafting. Um, it, it's just hard to implement it well, and uh, that's why I think all it's such an interesting puzzle. That's why so many people are yeah. looking at it. So many people are coming up with ideas about the best ways to draft. And I think you're right. There probably isn't one and there probably never will be one. Uh, but in every single draft, uh, wherever you land on the draft board, there is a best way for you to draft based on right. how the board falls. So yeah, it's, it takes a great amount of uh, knowledge and uh, of the board and, you know, uh, ability to draft well in any, any particular draft, especially when you're drafting against great players. So uh, but that's good, really good advice. As far as looking back at this past season, um, I don't know how many leagues you particularly you know, play mm -hmm. in personally, uh, but what, what do you think made the biggest difference? We've talked uh, to pretty much every expert yeah. about this, and everyone's mentioned Cup and Debo. So I'll just yeah. say, aside from Cup and Debo, what do you think was the biggest factor in helping championship teams this year? Mm. Um, I think that, as and this is something that's going to be applicable to every year. And I mean, you've got to mention Jonathan Taylor, and mm -hmm. and again. What was the key to Jonathan Taylor? And look, I was on the wrong side of this in a way as far as my coverage and what I was using my voice for when Carson Wentz got hurt, Quinn Nelson got hurt, Ryan Kelly was hurt. Mm -hmm. It just felt like, oh, this is a star-crossed offense. And Marlon Max Achilles was okay, and you know we're still going to use Naeem Hines. And it just felt like, yeah. well, maybe the stars aren't aligned for Jonathan Taylor this year. And sure enough, even though Carson Wentz had a 27 touchdown to 7 interception ratio, if you're like, Carson Wentz is not going to be good for this offense, you were right. I mean, you were right that Carson Wentz wasn't good for the pass offense. How could he be in good for the offense in general if he wasn't good for the pass offense? And yet, if you said, I don't care. Jonathan Taylor's so good it doesn't matter. And also Jonathan Taylor, yeah, and he also he's aligned with their running game. When the Jonathan, when they drafted Jonathan Taylor, he's a excellent alignment with what their offensive line does well. And and unfortunately some teams 
the GM doesn't draft players that line up with what uh, right. the, the offense, the coaches have implemented. So Jonathan Taylor is a good example. And I think that's one where the people who stuck to their guns on player evaluation yeah. won on that one. But the answer is really the same as it is every year. And this word comes up a lot, Kevin, and we were just talking about it. It's just being flexible. You know, uh, we all knew Raheem Mostert was going to get hurt. The 49ers moved up to take Trey Sermon. It sure seemed like they liked him. Whatever happened between the draft and the beginning of the season, Elijah Mitchell won the coaches over. And when they used him the way they did after Mostert went down in week one, if you just trusted that, mm -hmm. if you were just passive and said, I'm not going to argue with what Kyle Shanahan did. <laughs> it sure seems to me like he really likes Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> And you put 80% or 90%, I guess in some leagues, you might have had to put 95 or 99 or 100%. Right. But that was the waiver pickup of the year. If you stuck to your guns on Cordero Patterson, and you said he just needs someone who will use him, and in the first game you saw him used, and he said, I'm going to go strong because I believe in him. So some of it is your priors, mm -hmm. but some of it is not arguing with what you see and accepting it and updating your understanding. Yeah, that's good. Very good advice. I like it. Um, what's your favorite part of your your day job? Yeah. I mean, throughout every year, at least favorite part. What do you like about yeah. doing the football guys thing? I well, shows. I mean, talking to people, talking to intelligent, interesting, friendly people like yourself. I think that, uh, especially now, the world isolates us more and more. We were just talking about this with respect to New Orleans. The world isolates us. Uh, we're more and more surrounded by screens and things that just give us feedback to keep us sustained, but really we're social beings. I mean, there are exceptions. There are people who really are solitary, lone wolf type souls, like pushing the envelope and climbing mountains or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But most of us are social beings and we, we need connections to other people. We love the exchange. I always like to say this, that we have a, an illusion of there being these boundaries between us and the rest of the world. The ego, yeah. right? The ego is like this prison that we're in. Mm -hmm. And when we do things, whatever it is, whether it's with other people or not with other people that dissolve that boundary, it's you know, fishing, whatever it is for you, putting together jigsaw puzzles, you know, painting, I don't, or, or hanging out with your friends and drinking beers and talking about football, whatever it is, when you forget yourself as this separate, discrete being and you feel part of some energy flow that's mm -hmm. when you feel you flourish that's when you feel your, your soul kind of feels at ease when that's happening that's how we were designed to live right i think so yeah. and and um our whole fantasy football podcast network and the cross-pollination because again i don't want to be self-aggrandizing and take credit for anything like that but at the beginning everybody just did their own podcast and right. you were a podcast representing your outlet. And I don't I want to say On the Couch was the first, but I know it was one of the first to bring in people from all the outlets because they're all right. good. And it, it, the thing is, you don't have to pretend like nobody else is out there doing good work. And in fact, if you take people and point out other work, they'll trust you. They'll say, well, if you right. told me this was good and it's good, then now I trust you, which is really what we're trying to build. So talking to everybody creating these friendships that then transcend the fantasy football world. Like I've got a place down here. I'll, I'm not really trying to use your podcast to promote this, but now I've got a place down here where we have a, a double, a shotgun double. We live on one side. We have the other side as a, a vacation rental. Hmm. So I ha we aren't officially online yet, but I did like a soft opening and let everybody know on my Twitter feed, Evan Silva's coming. I should, maybe I shouldn't violate Evan Silva, you know, the final four is going to be here. Evans, you know what I mean? And so these friendships, yeah. they, 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 they resist the bounds of just fantasy football and podcasts and little boxes on our screen that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And they create all kinds of amazing real life changes. So that's, that's what keeps me coming back. That fills me back up and doing the projections and articles and things like that. It's still very stimulating, but the interaction is where it's at. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have a part that, you know, you don't like? Oh, running the company managing people managing people yeah you know I, even like as a commissioner in a fantasy football league in my office league way back in the day like i shouldn't really be in charge of anybody um i i it's it's you know you uh, other human beings behavior is you know human psychology is still this mystery you know so managing people or even just the business side yeah you know, i know how to create things that are interesting to me and hopefully they continue to be interesting to other people 
layer of football guys that turns that into revenue and keeps it sustaining. I don't have much to do with that, which is a good thing because I don't think I'm very practically minded for that. So I'm very lucky to have people I do work with that are very good at that. I just mm -hmm. want to produce content. I just want to talk about football and think about football. Yeah, it's awesome that um, the way you guys have it set up is it enables you to do that and you know yeah. focus on what you enjoy and you're good at and um, very cool. You know, I, I run a company on my own and uh, there's no no one to hand stuff off to. So <laughs> it's all it's all me. The the stuff I'm good at, stuff I'm bad at. So it sounds like you guys got a great team there, and that's very cool. Um, what what would you say like whether fantasy, whether your job, whether life mm -hmm. in general? What's one thing you've learned this past year? See, this is where it's going to turn into on the couch, right? Hey, that's good. Um, wow. Well, I'm going to be really, I mean, you're, and I want to say, Kevin, your, your, your style, your hosting style, your energy, your wavelength, you're man after my own heart. And that's, you know, we're relaxed. We're not rushing. We don't, we're not trying to beat any deadlines or yeah. sensationalize anything. Uh, so it puts me in that kind of mindset to, to not to get too deep into it because I can't tell a story without telling another story to give context. <laughs> and then I have to tell another story to give context to that. Oh, and good. then we end up stuck in tangents of tangents. But um, in the year 2021, it was a wild year with a lot of upheaval and a lot of change in my life. But I think that one of the biggest things was that my stepmom, my, my father's mother passed away in February mm -hmm. of last year. They were married for 40 years. My mother and my father were both married four times. Wow. My mom used to say, at least I found four men that would marry me. Uh, and she passed away and without getting into too much detail, she, like most wives, made my father a much better person. Hmm. And without her, um, and he was going through a lot of gr grief and, you know, I'm not trying to say, to say that he's necessarily morally responsible for a lot of this, but mm -hmm. our relationship uh, regressed or otherwise, let's just say that I felt ways that I could inside of myself have an awareness and say, oh, I haven't felt this way since I was a little kid. Hmm. Wow. And really what it helped me start to understand, again, Kevin, because my name is Sigmund, and I'm going to be Freudian about this stuff, is uh, as we go through our life, hopefully what we can learn is how trauma pain that we've experienced in the past is limiting our perception of what's happening and things well truly are triggering us in the sense that we're having an emotional response to something that's happening that is really about something unresolved from our right. past which then skews our our thinking it skews our reactions it causes problems in the present and we still don't totally understand why these things happen yep. so i think one of the biggest things for me this year, without getting into more detail, is just really understanding how my relationship with my father has affected all of my relationships in my life, hmm. really. And starting to understand that so that I can heal uh, and do better in the future. Wow, that is beautiful, man. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a, um, it's ironic. Um, I haven't really talked about this at all myself, but I've had a a really tough year with my own mother. And um, I don't know how much of it is related with, you know, COVID and all the stuff going on. Uh, there's been longstanding, you know, stuff there and pain there um, related to my parents' uh, divorce. And um, yeah, it's been really, it's been a really challenging time to try to like navigate that. And I feel like it's, it's been something that, you know, the same thing for me, like during this year, it's almost like, it's weird that a year where you are more separated from people can make you have to deal with some, you know, yourself relationship. Yeah. Yourself, yeah. like the relationships when you're, when you're separate, still the relationship stuff comes up. It's still in you. And, uh, it's in all your tree rings. And let me tell you, as an aside, because my uh, wife and I have talked about jokingly, I could, some of the stories I could tell, um, Oh, I, I, I'll say this. My father's a compulsive gambler. And if anybody ever, ever wants to reach out because they feel like gambling might, because gambling is so present in our space now it's mm -hmm. on top of them please don't hesitate it would be a, a pleasure of mine to help talk someone through their relationship with gambling um and there's all kinds of comical slash tragic scenes that played out in our life over the last year but the bottom line i'm getting to kevin is we're all getting older right like we're both in our 40s mm -hmm. we most of us are going to have something coming up where we're going to have to the roles are going to flip and we have to take care of our parents right 
And we have right. to say, like, you, like they said to us when we were kids, like, you don't know what's best for you. I have to make decisions <laughs> for you now, right? I mean, yep. this is coming for all of us, but we don't talk about it. Yep. We're not talking about how it's going. We're not talking about how much we dread it or how much dealing with it is going to bring up all kinds of other toxic things from right. our relationship in the past or how we're going to deal with that. And I think it's something, uh, like, since you asked that question, it was a kind of a, a blank slate, and that's what filled up the slate when you asked it hmm. i think it, it helps us to just even admit like yeah i'm looking forward to this happening and understanding that i don't even know what i'm going to do i don't even know if i'm gonna have the capability to make rational level-headed decisions because when i deal with that parent i it's it causes me to go on tilt because of this or mm -hmm. that but i know that I, it's going to be my responsibility and we can help each other out at least by acknowledging that it's it's a it's a burden or a stress or something that we go in without knowing the right answer and we have to do the best we can and we figure it out as we go right yeah it's a big burden to feel like you're all of a sudden uh the one in charge uh especially oh man parent who's like who's made it very clear that they've been in charge yeah of it, right and then all of a sudden you're like no 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 <laughs> this is right. how it's gonna be it, it's a big challenge yeah 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 i think you're right though talking about it is, is a key um you know another thing i thought of asking you is just um you know you're a successful guy i know mm -hmm. you were you were an attorney for a while and now you've been doing this business and um you know obviously doing a great job and i just wondered you know what's one key like sort of key to success Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you, as you look back at your life, one thing that you like maybe implemented or a habit or whatever that you say, Hey, try this to people who yeah. are young and listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, I've always said, try to align your work with something that you love. I and mean, this is kind of, I mean, the thing is, as I say this, and it might not apply to a lot of people listening to us right now, but it applies to a lot of people in the world, especially as things get a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't say a little more difficult. And for some people, it's gotten a lot more difficult. Uh, it's easy to say, do something you love, do something that you're passionate about. Uh, a lot of people don't have that ability. You know, there's just too many responsibilities to, right. to, to make some sort of change. Um, and I think that, I think that that is, important like if you're talking to someone that's like 18 you know maybe if it's somebody in their 30s isn't as easy um and then i guess the 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 flip side of that is maybe something more spiritual and it's just finding a way to see what you're doing as sacred or as part of a ritual as uh, just like people that go to a, a shrine or an altar and make an offering that your work is that offering so you can even so if it is work that isn't necessarily work that you love or it is work that feels like it's wearing down your soul every day i think of charles bukowski even if you if you feel like you're losing some of your soul every day at least you still have a soul left to lose mm -hmm. um and and trying to find a way to align i mean we could get into lots of deep conversations here about organized religion and there's a lot of problems with organized religion but something like organized religion other than being some way to subjugate people and control them it does give you that the, the ritual, the repetitive nature of making those offerings, uh, hopefully makes you feel grateful for what you have, right? Get back in tune with the joy of participation, get back in tune with gratitude, not for anything greater than being a human being here and now, right? Um, and I bring this up a lot, but I like it. I like bringing it up. There's a film called um, Gates of Heaven. Um, Gates of Heaven. No, Gates of Heaven is Errol Morris and uh, Fat Cemeteries. I'm sorry, Wings of Desire. It's a Wim Wenders film from the 80s. And it's a beautiful love letter to Berlin, first of all. Like Woody Allen, who I guess, we don't know Woody Allen. But Manhattan and the way it was shot is a beautiful love letter to Manhattan. And very similarly, Berlin, Wings of Desire is an amazing film to see just for Berlin. Peter mm -hmm. Falk is in it also. Peter Falk plays a character very similar to Columbo. It's kind of like both. Um, and it's a story about angels. And the angels watch life down on the streets. And every day they get together and they talk about like, I saw an old lady that when it rained, instead of opening her, and when she had her umbrella out, she closed it and got wet and jumped in puddles. And they report these little life affirming moments that they see in mm. human beings. That's what they do. But there's one angel who, because they're immortal, right? They're they're, they have access to all these amazing superpowers. They're angels. But he watches people getting to experience sensations. Mm. 
the sun on their cheek or smelling, you know, a pretzel or whatever. And he wants to experience those things. And the story goes on and from there. But the point of me bringing this all up is maybe the greatest gift is what we have every day and don't even realize. Mm. Just getting to experience this in this spaceship and this thing we have is the gift. Right. That's it. All the games and things we've laid on top of that to keep ourselves from being bored or staying mm. busy. That's why they call it business, right? Is obstructing from us that gratitude that mm. can can help us every day renew a sense of being happy to be alive, which is then something that light spreads. Right. You know, the word contagious is all loaded now, right? But happiness or contentment is contagious. Yeah, man, that's good. Good. It's a great film. No, those are good thoughts. And I think that when you live your life, regardless of it's something similar to what I've been learning, because, um, you know, I'm one of those people that went in thinking I was going to do a certain job and then went a different direction. And I've had all these other jobs that I'm not too passionate about. And, um, you know, in the, in the process though, you learn like, what, what is it that I care about truly, you know, like, work if work is work doesn't have to be your passion like in my case you know i don't do what i do for a job because i stink and love it it's a means to an end but what i do care about is you know living my life a certain way and loving my family and loving other people and that kind of thing and um and living like you're saying living with the gratitude for the life i've been given and um those are those are great pieces of advice and if you hate your job, like I said about the ritual or the the altar or the offering, it's an offering to the people you love in your family that right. you're you're right. putting that burden on to support and create uh, the things that will help your family flourish. So you put that and hopefully try to like at least make room in your heart for that, mm-hmm. along with all the and look, there's real reasons for a lot of jobs just suck and the way people are treated their jobs suck they're exploited etc cetera, etc cetera. but at least you can try to bring in some of that stuff we learned from organized religion that if you turn it into a ritual and think about what it is to honor or what is an offering to you can balance it out yeah and there's still things that even in the jobs that do kind of suck to be grateful for most of the time so yeah uh, good advice man um how about like uh w- one more question then we'll yeah. do we're going to do a closing exercise uh this guy or that guy yeah the uh, last question i want to ask you was just uh if our listeners something again something i've asked every other mm-hmm. other expert if our listeners want to improve uh their yeah. fantasy game they want to jump <laughs> it feels funny to skip back over sure. fantasy if they uh, want to improve their fantasy game uh maybe go against stronger players i know there's a football guys championship i've talked yeah. about on this jump into those kind of higher dollar contests what's one thing you'd say for fantasy football hey this is what you should do to improve you know, I thought about this question and I want to be able to give someone, I want to give people like something discreet and actionable, but I don't think there really is anything like that. I'll say this. Um, probably the best way to be successful, and then it depends on where you're at in the ladder. Cause if you're going from casual up, then, you know, read everything that Mike Clay puts out, right? JJ Zacharies and like the high, really great, highly analytical, and a uh, fantasy analyst that are going to give you those 52 48 edges and you just pile those up and mm-hmm. especially if you're playing like 20 teams or whatever you're doing dfs and there's people that have figured all that stuff out but especially if you get higher up on the mountain the, those players championships high stakes contests i think the most important thing is to be unique hmm. and i think that and kevin you can probably speak to this more than i can because i don't do high stakes contests very often But I think that much like we described with the NFL, that there's a pendulum, right? That there are market inefficiencies and the smart players, the sharps, the sharks, they learn to exploit those. Mm -hmm. But once the knowledge is disseminated enough where the majority of the sharps are doing it, then the sharp move, this, you see this in DFS all the time with ownership percentages, right? Right. If like the sharp move is to go against the sharps. Not yep. because they're wrong, but because it's the only way you have a chance to beat them. Get an edge, yep. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I think that the um, certainly in those big contests, like you're, you're competing against thousands and there's only a few winners, that's certainly the case. I mean, I would say I play in a lot of uh, high stakes, but closed leagues. And so in that case, mm-hmm. yeah, you can still pursue the same kind of strategy that um, that the Sharps are suggesting in many, in many uh, cases and, and win. 
but I think you're right. Even then, um, there's going to be sharps in every high stakes league. And so yeah. being, it goes back to what you said earlier, being flexible. You see somebody doing something and find a different way to win. So, yeah, that's good. All right. So let's do some do yes. exercise lightning here. round where the uh, prize is double not over these names at all. Uh, I have a bunch. Uh, we'll get through as many as we can. But okay. these are uh, for, for our listeners. These are players that are in the current ADP of uh, the I think it's called the way too early best ball contest or something like that. Mm-hmm. At the PC. These are all within three picks of each other. Um, and so you have to choose this player or that player. This is for redraft, not dynasty. So, OK, and we're going to assume PPR. Uh, and tight end premium score. Okay. That makes a difference for any of these. All right. So Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase? I'm going to take Cup. I'm going to take Cup just because I think that we've seen more evidence that defenses aren't really going to be able to stop the Stafford to Cup combination. And I think we saw in the pendulum effect discussion that more defenses are going to say, we're going to take away Jamar Chase big plays downfield and see if you can beat us with Higgins and Boyd, et cetera. So I'm going to take Cup. Okay. Do you think, just as a side, do you think there's any uh, possibility that teams will figure out a way to stop Cup? I think that it's more going to be that we're going to get, we know Cup's going to get his, and we just want to contain, let's see who they bring back, right? Let's see if uh, Beckham is back. Woods will be back, but he's not really a downfield threat. Like, what do they do about the speed element? So I think it's a, a really good discussion question. I guess the the question above that question, Kevin, would be, do you have to stop Cooper Cup to beat the Rams? Right. And I think that's what, the, especially the Cardinals, you know, the, um, the 49ers and the Seahawks, that's their homework this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. All right, Najee Harris or Dalvin Cook? A cook. I'm a neurotic Steelers fan. And Najee Harris, because of his sheer volume, was able to do well. But I am just so worried that the Steelers' offense is going to be a disaster. Maybe if they get yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo, it won't be. But short of that, I don't want to be, I don't want Steelers' properties this year. Do you think they'll draft a guy like Malik Willis or? Yeah, they won't have a chance to. They won't have a chance no. to. They won't, I don't think they're bold enough to What's move up from a 21. What's 21? their 21? Yeah, okay, I don't. Yeah, I just I don't. Be I, 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 it's po- based on everything coming out of the combine. Unless that's totally agent created, he's going to be a top ten pick. I think we're looking at Carolina, maybe Denver. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to have the opportunity to. Yeah, and there's just not, not many others that I feel like could really push them up that high. Yeah, it's interesting. No, I, I think I'd lean Harris there, um, but mainly because I'm, I'm worried about Cook and his age and injuries and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Debo Samuel or AJ Brown. Mm. That's the Debo. I mean, the reason it's Debo is because I'm not sure that uh, we aren't collectively ignoring that, and I don't want it to be true, but is A.J. Brown already breaking down? Is he already breaking down? I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want it to be true, but how often, Kevin, how often this early, and this wasn't even just this year, already even last year, A.J. Brown was having to do like veteran practice schedules, you know? I mean, he's he's not even done with his rookie contract yet. How many surgeries has he had? How many yeah. different injuries has he had? And I just wonder if physiologically, maybe his body can't withstand the game playing the way he plays as long right. as it has for other players. Yeah, they actually play similar games. They're very you know rugged, yeah. big and tough. Yeah, it's, that's a that's a real close one for me. Mark Andrews or Kyle Pitts. I'm in the tank for Pitts, man. I'm in the tank for Pitts. We'll, we'll see. Even we'll even see. with the being down by the Saints, huh? you're gonna. Yeah, on. I'm in the tank. I mean, I'm in the tank for Pitts because I just feel like there's so many signs that we have. He's that he's a unicorn. That he's Haley's comet. Yeah. That we have not seen somebody like him before. And it's just a question of everything being lined up. I think a lot of the stuff. I think some of it is you know he had to adjust his game and he had to understand how defenses were going to treat him. So again, this is one of those situations where it accelerated, right? Because I was all over Kyle Pitts last year in redraft leagues because I thought there's going to be an adjustment period where he's going to come out and rampage because, and I thought Arthur Smith was going to deploy him in a way that would maximize his effect on the game. Little did I know it was actually Cordero Patterson that Arthur (laughs) Smith, that was actually his big off-season project, not Pitts. Um, But what you saw is defenses right away put their best long cornerback, like Stephon Gilmore, on Pitts. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise, especially after Calvin Ridley left the team and Matt Ryan isn't exactly going to scare defenses, uh, you know, they were already, as a rookie, 
taking Pitts away and saying, we're going to take him away and you have to find some other way to beat us. Uh, So it could be that his growth is only incremental this year. Uh, But I also think he's the kind of player that as he gets settled into his game, and this could be the reason to take Najee Harris over Dalvin Cook because we haven't seen the best of him, or Jamar Chase over Cooper Cup. We haven't seen the best of them yet. They're still on that big upslope side of their career arc. So we don't know how much they're going to improve no matter what defenses do to take them away. So I'm going to like that for Pitts. Other thing I'll say on Andrews is a lot of his uh, stats that separated him came with Tyler Huntley. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his level stayed while Marquise Browns didn't with Huntley. So assuming health with Lamar Jackson, I think that we probably saw the best statistical season of Mark Andrews career. No, it's fair. And you also have Rashad Bateman there. And you also have the fact that they want to be a running team. So, yeah, yeah, I think Andrews probably will end up being overdrafted. I The only thing I, I think would really help Pitts is if they draft a great receiver. Yeah, it would really help. Yeah. DeAndre Swift or Nick Chubb? Chubb. Chubb. <laughs> Chubb. Oh, my. Again, it's like, what does Chubb have to do to get respect from us? And I'm not saying this to you personally, Kevin. Um, and look, Swift was great last year. It was tricky, right? How much of Swift was that the Lions didn't really have a lot else to rely on in their offense? Yeah. Swift, this is something you almost have to whisper because there's a lot of Swift stands out there. I don't know that Swift was the best runner on his team last year. Mm. I don't know that Swift was the best player at executing the running game game plan. Mm -hmm. Now, they didn't have a lot of game scripts where the running game game plan mattered. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that I think that again with Swift, how much of his production was structural was based on PPR and things like that. Like I would guess this: if somebody played in a league with Swift where they had scaled PPR, like 0.5 for running backs, one for wide receivers, 1.5 for tight ends, mm-hmm. they probably would have a different view of Swift coming into drafts this year than folks who played in full PPR. Which tells me that the value may be not as durable as it is with a player like Chubb who is still running back one without having to catch passes. Right. No, it's good. They're they're tight for me, but I, I hear you. How about Antonio Gibson or Alvin Kamara? Kamara, 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 Kamara. I mean, look, Antonio Gibson, there's a story you can tell about Antonio Gibson that everybody that's on him this year is going to profit. Uh, Washington needs to get a quarterback, but, you know, we'll deal with that. Kenny Pickett, probably. Um, Gibson came into the season with that shin stress fracture, right? So it's very possible, and we heard in the offseason that the game was slowing down for him as a running back, which he was barely used as a runner at Memphis, that he was showing advanced understanding, patience, Mm -hmm. just that mental side of the running game was coming online for him. And then, well, he comes into the season... Uh, there's this shin issue, which doesn't get better, even though he actually seemed to get stronger in the second half of the season, especially late. And sometimes you did see that amazing physical ability married to an understanding of the running game. So if it indeed was the shin holding him back and we just haven't seen, and it isn't also a sign that he's going to be injury prone, um, that there might be a leap up this year simply because he's not playing hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, totally convinced and also there's the chance that he could be that McCaffrey type player with his receiving ability with Scott Turner there's offensive coordinator maybe if JD McKissick is not brought back right and then it might be like Swift right like structurally he's going to get four to five catches a game in addition to his 60 80 total yard floor in addition to like some games where he might score two or three touchdowns he might break an 80 yard touchdown run now we're back into like early career Saquon Barkley territory where it doesn't even matter if the offense sucks right because he's going to get so much of it but Alvin Kamara is still a player that I get it. Like last year, they brought back Mark Ingram. That was a bummer from a fantasy standpoint because they went right back to the old Ingram Kamara split. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they'll bring back Ingram this year. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the Saints are going to do at quarterback. I don't know how much they're going to make him foundational in the passing game again. But again, who else is there going to be? Right. I mean, Thomas will be back. And I mean, I think it's well, likely to be Winston. Right. Who knows? Um, yeah. And who knows about the future of Michael Thomas? Who knows about Traquan Smith in free agency? Yeah. Uh, it, I, it's a mess. It, it makes sense to me that Kamara is going to be as foundational in the Saints offense as we hope that Gibson is in Washington. Right. I agree. Yeah, I think I think Gibson is just all conjecture, and you're hoping that McKissick doesn't come back. But it's hard to trust Kamara, too, because the Saints are a mess. But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about Saquon Barkley or Cam Akers? Mm, man. These are tough, right? 
I mean, and these are both guys I would be fading at ADP. I'd say, is there a wide receiver on the board? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean, <laughs> but no, no. Um, with Barkley, what you have to wonder about is, and I get it if you're a Barkley stan, and physically he's just one. I had hesitation about Barkley <laughs> at Penn State because he didn't take, he was not an efficient runner. He was not a downhill runner. He mm -hmm. he, he jumped re a lot. He relies on his physical advantages, and you mm -hmm. see in the NFL, especially when the offense isn't creating any advantages for him, the play calls aren't creating any advantages for him. How easy it was to bottle him up. Devonte Booker, who this Giants just released, had I believe more rushing yards on the same amount of carries, or roughly the same wow. amount of carries, than Saquon he just Barkley. Hole and went. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then you see that the that this new regime wants that they're open to trading Barkley, but what does the universe, what do the football guys say back to them? Well, will you take a fourth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's fair because Barkley is in his second contract. I mean, the league has caught up now. Mm -hmm. You know, there are exceptions. Der Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, those second running back contracts haven't gone sour yet, but the second running back, I mean, the, the Panthers want to trade McCaffrey maybe for a first. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Because it's a liability, no matter, the running backs, because, and we understand this when we say running backs don't matter, even though it's not totally true, that a lot of the running back uh, uh, production is created by this structure. Right. It's just, you need, a, you just need a competent running back and he will harvest all that value. And running back's ability to add value through skill, through physical traits, isn't that important. And teams don't want to pay for Christian McCaffrey. They don't want to pay for Saquon Barkley. If you're trading for Saquon Barkley, you would only get basically the comp pick value of him. Right. Because yeah. he's not going to get, what's he going to get next year? 10, 11, 12 million. He, you know, David and Joku this year on a long-term contract because it might get more than Saquon Barkley he's going to get yeah. next year. And it has to do with positional value, even though tight end mm -hmm. is another position where uh, salaries are depressed. It's a whole mm -hmm. different conversation. Now, Akers, I think your best theory for Akers is just, yes, it's incredible that he made it back. It's incredible that he actually had a role on a Super Bowl winning team like seven months after tearing his Achilles, eight months after tearing his Achilles. And we still didn't see the player he's going to be. Right, because if it's the play, if he, if what we saw in the playoffs is a hundred percent and Cam Akers, I don't, I'm not buying. Right, ball security, uh, yeah, and he just he wasn't creating anything on his own. Um, the hope, if you take Akers, is that um, that they didn't have the full running game installed because the whole idea was Akers was going to give them that full Sean McVay running game, the Todd Gurley running game. Right. It's just, Sony Michelle couldn't do that. Sony Michelle was just a downhill, no nonsense runner. So they put in more power and not as much subtlety. So you would say, hey, with a full offseason training camp to do the full range of Sean McVay running game and he leverage off of all of that, that's when you're really going to see Akers pop. You can make a similar argument, though, that, hey, how much was the Giants in ineptitude holding back Barkley? Right. Just with a New competent coach, offense. Right. So. I'm probably going to go with Barkley here, but they're both, you're both just basically hoping for that bounce. Uh, yep. With Akers, it's that he wasn't healthy. With Barkley, it's that he's been playing in probably the worst offense as far as how it's managed yep. in the league. Yep. I'm with you there. Keenan Allen or DJ Moore? <laughs> I say, you know, no, 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 no. It's funny because, like, I was wrong, okay? I was not as high on DJ Moore coming into the league as a lot of people were. I just felt like he kind of played a big man's game, even though he didn't, he wasn't, at, he doesn't have, like, a 6'4", 220 frame. But his game evolved, and he he's he's a very, very good player. But this one is simple for me because it's, you also could have said Justin Herbert or Sam Darnold. <laughs> you said ecosystem, right? Yeah. All right, Keenan Allen it is. Mike Evans or Elijah Moore? Oh, it's Mike Evans. It's Mike Evans, but I'm open to being wrong about this like two or three weeks into the season. Yeah. I'm open to that. Because it also, like you're saying, Zach Wilson, right? What, what right. It or not, yeah. Yeah, and we saw more with other quarterbacks do pretty good. Right. And I will say this, and I think that it wasn't lost on a lot of people, so I don't even know what needs to be said, but all of the hype on Elijah Moore was warranted. It was mm -hmm. all warranted. Yes, sometimes off-season and preseason hype is an indicator of a special player, and he is a special player, even though it didn't happen right away. Mm -hmm. Travis Etienne or Josh Jacobs? Oh, Jacobs. 
Oh, yeah. And I get it. Josh McDaniels and Patriots use four running backs, and, well, it's going to be, you know, Kendrick Drake and who knows. But Josh Jacobs was actually much more productive than people realized last year. And, again, how much was John Gruden holding that offense back? How much was just that way the way the team was being run held back Jacobs? Every year we wanted Jacobs to be that foundational back, and every year they would find some way to keep him from being that guy. Uh, I would expect Josh McDaniels is going to take stock of what he has there. Josh Jacobs is only 24 years old. Yeah. And there's every possibility out there that Josh Jacobs turns into a truly foundational back in an yeah. even in an improved offense. Yeah, uh, so, you know, ETN is a total unknown. Yep. So what do we have in ETN? Urban Meyer drafted him because he couldn't get Kadarius Tony. <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, that's, I'm just, I'm just stating facts here. True. It is a fact. He wanted Kadarius Tony. He couldn't get him. So that was the next best guy. And he tried to, he tried to shoehorn him into a Kadarius Tony role that, that Curtis Samuel role. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then, uh, ETN got hurt. What else did we learn last year? Yeah. James Robinson's really, really good. Like he's that good. I don't care that he was undrafted. Yeah. He is that good. Yeah. So, and Doug Peterson's not going to come in and say, oh, I'm going to marginalize James Robinson like Urban Meyer thought he was going to until he actually saw James Robinson practice and say, okay, well, yeah, actually we have something here too. Mm-hmm. And who knows what the new regime is going to do with ETN? Who knows right. how he's going to fit in this offense? And if it's so, Peterson, I mean, he, he's going to mix mix and match all those backs anyway, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, know. I think ETN is way, if ETN, just that you, and again, I haven't started studying best ball ADP quite yet, but if ETN's in the Avenue neighborhood of Jacobs, he's being overdrafted. Yeah. Cool. You got time for a couple more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hit me. All right. Amari Cooper or Devontae Smith? Oh, that's Smith. That's Smith. Um, Amari Cooper is like, I love the Price is Right, so I use this one a lot. Um, there's that Price is Right game, the cliffhanger, where the, they yodel, the and the cliffhanger, like, is how far off are you? Yeah, yeah. And if you're off too much, the guy just keeps going and going and going over the cliff. Mm-hmm. So that's Amari Cooper this offseason, because he, I believe he's going to be released. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to take a pay cut. I don't think he's going to take a restructure. I don't think feelings are good between the Cowboys organization and Cooper. And then it's like the cliffhanger. Where is he going to land? What right. is his role going to be? Who's his quarterback going to be? Who else is going to be in the wide receiver group? I have no idea. I have no idea. Right. Ends we, up in Jacksonville. That, that could be painful or somewhere like who that. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those situations where we may have seen Amari Cooper's peak in fantasy terms, and he may never even come close to approaching it again. Yeah. I guess the big, the big concern with Devonta Smith is just the – you know, right, the structure of that offense, Dallas yeah. Goddard. No, I get it. I get it. Um, I just feel like Amari Cooper is so volatile right now yeah. that yeah. if I can get even 80 cents on the dollar in terms of what his current market value, I'll take it. Yeah, that makes sense. Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray? That's still Kyler. That's still Kyler. Hmm. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, Arizona's going to sign him to an extension. Everything's going to be okay there. And um, I don't know why he didn't run as much last year. That was, I was, that was strange. Did, strange... did he run as much before the injury, or did he? Was it the whole? He season? wasn't running from the beginning of the year. No, he was a lot more efficient as a passer. He was a lot more productive team. as a passer. Hmm. Um, and you know the retooling of the pass offense with AJ Green and drafting Rondale Moore, um, and of course everything great that DeAndre Hopkins can do, it was working. And um, but then he wasn't adding as much value as a runner, which kept him more in that cluster of QB ones instead of separating himself like he did. The previous year uh joe burrow was was great over the course of the year what joe burrow accomplished in the playoffs was great but from a fantasy standpoint it was a little bit of a bumpy ride you know there were some times during the season that they that it was joe mixon offense and they were mm-hmm. getting back to basics with joe mixon so it's possible that burrow could take that step up to 40 45 pass touchdowns five thousand plus yards etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but i'll take my chances with murray if i'm going to take a quarterback in the top you know, six, seven. I don't know exactly where they are. Quarterback six, seven, correct, seven, eight, something like that. I'll take my chances with Murray. Okay. I got two more for you. Yeah. Receivers. Uh, first one is Darnell Mooney or Tyler Lockett. Mm. I mean, it's got to be Lockett. I like Mooney a lot. And I hope that Luke Getze can get 
Justin Fields in a mode that works for him. But these are now look already. So as soon as you start having to do analysis like this, Kevin, you should step back and say, well, I'm, t- I'm talking about ifs and I'm stacking ifs on top of ifs. Right. With Tyler Lockett, you know what you got. And then what I mean by that is we're assuming, I think, 99.9%. Russell Wilson's going to be a Seahawk and right. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a, you know, a Packer. Kirk Cousins is going to be a Viking. Like, <laughs> let's not get too aggressive with our projected quarterback movement this offseason. Matt Ryan's going to be a Falcon. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo and then what dominoes that will set off, we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, I'll take the Wilson to Lockett combination. Another thing about Wilson is, remember, we don't know how much he was thrown off by his finger injury. He just wasn't right. the same after his finger injury. He was mm-hmm. pretty productive, and the pass offense was pretty good until that time. So I'll take Lockett. Cool. All right, last one here. I got Brandon Ayuk or Mike Williams. Oh, Mike. Big Mike. Give me Mike. Give me Mike. Uh, he's going to be franchise tagged. I mean, I don't, it's Tuesday at 11.15 Central, so I don't know if we've heard that he's been franchised, but I think the Chargers are going to do everything in their power to keep him. And I know that Williams was up and down last year, but I think that you still had the ups. Throw him as your flex or your wide receiver three. So when he does have eight for 169 and two touchdowns, you win that week. And then you can suffer a two for 21 because he was just your wide receiver three or your flex. I'm afraid that I'm going to be fading Kittle, Samuel, and Ayuk hmm. in San Francisco because it's going to be the Trey Lance offense. Right. And yeah. how many pass attempts are we going to get in a game, Kevin? Yeah. How 15, many, how many 18. It? Yeah. It's just going to be too difficult. Kittle's going to have weeks where he has 10 for 220 and two touchdowns. Ayuk's going to have seven for 120 and a touchdown. Samuel is probably still going to be, especially if they keep him in the backfield, consistent enough to at least be a startable fantasy player every week. But that pie, that passing pie is going to get smaller. Yeah, I think it probably has to. I mean, it's not like Garoppolo was chucking it all over the yard. No. But yeah, I, I can't imagine them. I mean, th- there is a slim chance that sure. he is a great thrower of the football and he, you know, he becomes like an, a star thrower. And then, yeah, but you, you're not going to bet on that. So, yeah, that's very cool, man. Thanks for going through those. Thanks so much yeah. for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, I think this yeah. is going to be really fun and helpful for our listeners. Before we sign off, uh, do you want to tell uh, the people anything about where they can follow you or your work? Yeah, Sigmund Bloom, you know, always on Twitter, always enjoy interacting with everybody uh, and football guys. And we're, you know, doing our football guys thing. If you don't know about us, we obsess about all things football. So that's if that sounds like you then there's something there for you in football, guys. And I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come on. I look forward to future opportunities for us to get to chat. Awesome, man. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, share, rank, support the podcast when you get a chance. I definitely appreciate it. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.